Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Sunday Forum at St. Luke's Episcopal Church. I'm Ed Bacon, the Interim Rector, and I am absolutely thrilled to have as my guest today, Jackie Cushman, a wonderful member of this parish, a really good and deep friend of mine, both pastorally, spiritually, and relationally as a member of this church. And she has an amazingly wonderful book called Our Broken America, and she'll hold that up in a minute when she's on the screen. But we want to talk about that, because one of my passions is to address our propensity to be polarized, to be tribalized, to be divisive in this country. And I just think it's not sustainable. It is sabotaging our health as a democracy to hear everything through a polarization lens. And I feel that I am a partner with Jackie Cushman in addressing this because she understands, as so many of us understand, that it's really hurting the heart and the soul and the mind and also the connective tissue of not only our country, uh, but our uh, democracy. So with that, welcome Jackie Cushman. Thank you, Ed. I'm really excited to be on with you today. Um, and I wrote, and I'm going to, I will show the book. Thank you very um, much. I'm in, <laughs> I mean, in Alabama. Exactly, since we're, um, we're on video. So um, it's titled Our Broken America, Why Both Sides Need to Stop Ranting and Start Listening. And it was published this past fall. So it was before the pandemic. It was in the fall of last year. Um, and I really wish people would stop and think about how can we come together as a country um, and I know we're going to talk about that through this through this um, this forum, but to me, part of why I wrote it is that I feel that the country is so polarized that people only rant at each other and they don't listen to one another, and therefore nothing ever really changes, which I think is a real a real problem we have. Very well stated. So uh, let's get into it because um, I love the fact that. You Well, there are two things that you and I have said in conversations. Number one, the absolute necessity to listen. Mm -hmm. And that um, I really believe that these days are times when we really need to be listening to one another. And we need to listen to one another's stories that are underneath any kind of positions we hold. So I hope to get into some storytelling right. today. Um, the other thing is I love... You know, uh, I love authors who really care about their books. Mm -hmm. And you told me, kind of jokingly, but it is really true. If everybody in America read your book and took it seriously, we wouldn't be in the trouble we're in in terms of the, div the division. So I want you to take it for a few minutes mm -hmm. and talk a little bit first about your journey here. Uh, you're a vibrant central member of St. Luke's Episcopal Church. How did you get here? And then I will want you to get into your book. So kind of first okay. a little bit about your own journey. Absolutely. So um, it is, it's a bit of a um, convoluted journey, a little bit like some um, others in our parish. So I was actually born about, born and raised Baptist. Um, and so that was kind of tradition. So I love the Baptist, the songs and the hymnals. Um, I grew up, you know, memorizing Bible verses, right? That was part of the Baptist tradition. Um, and I grew up in a very small town called Carrollton, Georgia. It's about an hour west of Atlanta. And um, grew up there. Um, 
And for me, once I went to college in South Carolina and came back, I really focused professionally on finance and worked in corporate finance and worked in industry and Bell South Wireless. Um, and after my husband, Jimmy, and I got married in St. Luke's, actually, um, we, after we had our second child, then I decided to stay home and work part-time versus full-time. And it was at that time that I really started writing. So I've only been writing since then. I've always loved to read. I was a big reader when I was growing up. Um, I was the one that would sit in the car or sit in my room and read for hours on end. I would sit and read in math class. Um, but I finally decided to start writing and became a columnist um, a little over a decade ago. And so this book, Our Broken America, is my third book. Um, the first book is The Five Principles from Our Family to Yours that I wrote with my father. And the second one is called The Essential American. But in terms of me professionally in like our community, a large part of what I do, and you know, my husband Jimmy serves in the vestry at St. Luke's, as you know, and we have two children um, who are, will both be in college, hopefully, this fall. Um, but a large part of what we try to instill in our children is community service. And since I wasn't working full time, um, I've been, been able to be able to really work deeply for years in several different community groups. I'm going to talk about for a few minutes if that's okay, because that, that experience is really kind of what led me to write this book. So without that experience, um, I don't think I would have had the depth of caring about what happens in communities, nor the understanding of how you bridge different communities by working together. So um, the first one I'm going to mention is the one that I got involved with not long after our son Robert was born. So I can remember um, he was born right before 9-11. And so I can remember he never slept. I mean, he sleeps great now, but he was one of those children that, <laughs> that never slept. <laughs> it was terrible. I can remember rocking him in the middle of the night in his, right, in his bedroom and remember hearing the planes fly over um, my head from Dobbins. Um, and you could hear them because they're, they're heavier, they're noisier. And I can remember being scared about what world would he have to live in and, and what would it look like as he grew up. And not, not long after that, I had a friend of mine, Lisa Lofton, who was part of a group called um, Genesis at that time that's now Our House, called and said they needed someone to, to, uh, to volunteer as a treasurer. And at that time, it was a homeless shelter behind the temple. Um, we've moved since then. But I, I couldn't imagine, even though I had two under the age of two, um, I couldn't imagine saying no because as hard it as it was for me to raise children and I was in a house with a supportive family, I could not imagine how horrible it would be to be homeless and have a newborn baby. And that's where our house really focuses their work. It's homeless children and their families. And so I've been involved with that group now for, um, for over 18 years. And to me, um, what, I, what I love about what, what, what our house does is it really looks at the entire, like what, what, caused the, right, what caused the family to be here. Like it didn't just, right, something happened, whether it was a loss of a job, a, a health issue, if they were fleeing an abusive spouse, if we, there are a variety of reasons, but until you know your story, to your point in the story or what happened, you can't figure out how to help somebody. And then it's a real program. They provide support. They provide, um, you know, financial literacy. They provide training for, um, you know, for a job. If you need job training or education, they work with you for job placement. And their goal is really a self-sufficient family uh, for every child. And so I've been working with, um, with our house now for, like I said, almost two decades. 
the second organization that I got involved with is um, the Trust for Public Land. And the Trust for Public Land first came to Atlanta in the 70s when um, Rand Wentworth decided it was important for us, for us, for Atlanta, to help save what is now part of the Martin Luther uh, King Jr. National Historic Site. And so he knew that TPL nationally had a role in doing that kind of work. So he reached out and said, will you come and help us? And they said, yes. And that's really the genesis of the Trust for Public Lands work in Georgia. And I got involved, obviously not that, I'm not that old, so I was involved then. <laughs> but I got involved later. Um, my father was involved uh, as well. But our work um, since I've been involved is focused on saving land for people. Um, the Beltline, we helped pay the way for the Beltline in terms of the study being done and help helping the, the city acquire land. Um, we've worked a lot on the Chattahoochee River to save the land on the river. Um, and we're now going to go into phase two. If you go to Chattahoochee Riverlands, free, a free nonprofit, right, promo, um, you can actually see the visioneering for the next phase of work on the Chattahoochee, which is really how to provide access for all people to the Chattahoochee so that there's access to be able to use that land. Um, we've worked on Cook Park, which should open this fall, which is in on the west side of Atlanta. Um, so we really focus on how do you provide people access to land, we want land for people. The third group is a group called GEARS, which is a relatively, for me, I don't think I've only been involved four years, um, group that really focuses on, it's Georgia Early Education Alliance for Ready Students. And we focus on making sure our, all children are ready to go to kindergarten because if a child goes to kindergarten and they're not ready to learn, then more than likely they are not going to be able to read when they get to third grade, which means they never catch up. So for us, obviously, we focus on um, disadvantaged communities and high quality childcare and work a lot uh, advocating to make sure there are funds for that as well as access and provide tools so that parents know which childcare centers are high quality and which ones are not. Because we know how important it is um, to have really high quality teachers in that early learning setting. And then the last one is the Atlanta Society of Finance and Investment Professionals, um, which really does financial literacy and we work a lot with college students, high school students, and provide programs to understand financial literacy. So the reason I'm telling you about is that the work that, that um, and Jimmy's always in the vestry here, he served on the Atlanta History Center, on the Botanical Gardens Board and everything. Um, but we really focus on how do we community build? Like how can we build, right, stronger families, stronger communities, make sure there's resources for everyone. Um, and then what I found in my work is that when you, when you find something you believe in, whether it's financial literacy or environment or I mean whatever your someone's cause is, that you can soon find people that you might not naturally run across, but if you have a common goal, you can work together and make real progress. That makes a difference for for um, all you know all people. Indeed. Well, I mean that's the life of a public servant. I mean you and I have so much in common. We're both Bapto Episcopalians. We love Baptist hymns. <laughs> we love sword drills, so we can find anything in the Bible. And oh, I love your big, big love cup. Do you That's like that? Cute. Oh, we we love Wade Thompson. We both have that in common. <laughs> yes, we do. We both love Wade Thompson and everything he does. And then actually, uh, your father and my father were elected officials, and so we know the world of politics. And how you have to have how you have to be as a child of a lifelong politician and public service. Um, your father is Newt Gingrich, and 
a very famous uh, name, household name. And my father down in South Georgia has a household name, you know, an elementary school named after him, James Bacon. Mm -hmm. So you and I have a lot in common that I, I was not aware of until we started telling these stories. Mm -hmm. And that's what I love, frankly, about having conversations with people who might have a different perspective than you do. But if you get down to the story level, the being mm -hmm. is much more important than the doing and the way people look. And in, in, in that the being is so very important. So uh, once again, I'm so thrilled you're here. And thank you for telling me um, those stories. And to be sure, if you're going to be involved in 501c3s, if you're going to be involved in nonprofit community agencies that are developing community in the larger mm -hmm. community, you're going to run into difference. And you have mm -hmm. to know how to negotiate talking about your own differences. So I love the fact that you're here. So let's talk a little bit more about your book now, if that's mm -hmm. okay. Um, so I want to I, I want to come back to listening, but I really want you to unpack that statement, which I really believe. You know, if everybody, if every citizen in America had read my book, we would be in better shape. So I love your bold statement about that. Unpack that. What is the essence of your book that really would change America? So the real core um, of my book, and I, um, I, I talk a lot about in the introduction, kind of my background and my history. I talk about my faith. Um, I think right before I, I finished my book, I think I actually finished The Universal Christ, which I know that you have done, right, a city group on. So a lot of what I talk about is how um, the cha when you look at, if you look at political polarization from a, almost from a spiritual, you can't, actually can't have that. Because if you actually believe that there is Christ in all of us, which I do, right, if there's God in all of us, then it's literally impossible to look across the aisle from a political perspective and say you hate the other Absolutely. because you are because you are the other. Oh, amen, glory attack. <laughs> so, and that, and I talk about how I try to find the divine in other people, and that you know I feel like this political polarization. You mentioned this in one of our conversations, like this industrialized political polarization complex, right there. They're turning out ways in which we can hate each other more, but it's exactly opposite of what we need um, to really heal ourselves because we know through, um, through my belief, I know that I, to be able to really be healed and to be whole, I have to be able to see God in others and in myself. And if we're really busy judging the other person, I mean, and I talk about this in the book, I talk about outrageous outrage and that people start getting outraged and they get more outraged and it feeds upon itself. And part of what comes from that is that people feel good about themselves, right? Because they're better than others. When really we know from a biblical perspective, no one's better than anyone. And sure. we all have sin. I mean, I'm not, I mean, I'm not, I'm certainly not standing here saying that I don't have sin because I'm a human being and, you know, I have a, I have a lot of it. I don't think we have enough time to go through it right now. But, I mean, <laughs> you know, I, I, but, I, you know, you can't give grace to others if you can't give grace to yourself. Amen. 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 So that's really the core of my book. And then talk about how do we listen to the other, right, the, the other, which is us. How, but how do we listen to one another with love and try to understand, even if we don't agree? Because I don't think, you know, our, 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 um, country isn't built on the idea that we all have to agree with one another right. that I mean that's just totally opposite right. our country is built on the idea that we should be able to freely discuss ideas and have a vigorous debate 
but still be bound together in this love for one another and this love for what we can do together. And that's where I feel like we've really missed the mark. Amen. I, I am so resonant with, what you've, with everything you've said, um, politically, uh, humanly, spiritually, and theologically. It was really beautiful, and thank you. It was very well stated. Um, so I am a member of the Society for the Renunciation of the Polarization Industry. <laughs> Sounds pretty fancy. It sounds pretty fancy. <laughs> <laughs> the fancy title. I, I renounce polarization. I renounce othering people. And I renounce the myth of the separate self. And I come to you, Jackie, knowing that your book and your life and the way you think can help me with my project of going toward unity and there being no other and away from polarization. So what are the keys? I, and I'm, I'm fishing for listening being one of the core ones, but- I was already there, don't worry. <laughs> okay. So unpack the listening thing, but anything else that goes along with listening as yeah. a core uh, a part of the repertoire. Well, I do think it starts with listening and whether you're talking about um, just getting to know someone, right? Making friends, um, going on a first date, um, on a job interview, right? It doesn't matter what your what what environment you're talking about with human beings. There's no greater need than any human being has than to feel as if someone can see them, right, and understand who they are. And it's impossible to do that without the other person listening to you. So there's no greater disrespect from a personal standpoint than to refuse to listen to the other person because you can then never understand them for the person that they are, the, the experience that they've gone through. So to me, listening is the first key. And listening is hard because if you really, really listen, not just have, not just, because most of us have, and I know you don't do this, but a, a lot of people, and I do this occasionally myself, we all do, instead of listening to what the other person is saying, we're formulating our responses to what they, we think they are going to say. Because you actually can't formulate responses and listen at the same time. And really listening requires you to suspend your thought plot pattern and to actually listen, which is hard. I mean, it's hard because that means you can no longer be turning up here. And so I found it very helpful. I, for me, it helps a lot for, for me to literally take notes sometimes so I can focus on what's being said. All right, that's my way of, I'm a very visual person anyway. So that allows me to, to focus on what the person said. Or, or then we all know the, the classic reframing Ed, you just said you were the member, you know, the founding member of the renunciation of you know, political polarization, or whatever it is, so that you can acknowledge to the person that you're paying attention, that you're understanding them, but also provides a um, a connection in terms of body, which is hard. And now in pandemic, in body language and head nodding, and that yeah. that mutual, you know, how do we make sure that we're on the same wavelength? And when you don't um, listen to one another, you never have a chance to do that. Right. Amen. Oh, I love it. Well, you know, Jackie, I'm a human being too, and I have to fight truly listening and not formulating my responses or my defenses while somebody's talking, which I just think is golden for you to point out that that is the essence of listening. So, and you're, and you're right. I want to I pick up though on something you said about defensiveness, because you're exactly right. That a lot of what the political polarization is, 
is that um, I think people are very scared to be wrong. Um, And so if you're scared to be wrong, then you have to be defensive because you have to be right. And part of why we feel like, I think we feel like we have to always be wrong, be right and never wrong is because when we are wrong, we're afraid someone's going to say, Jackie, you're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. And we have such this, um, this culture of, of I want to say lack of, of graciousness or um, whatever you want to call it that you know as, as though any of us walk around sin free like I don't know where this came from I mean Jesus Christ is not walking around currently in human form so there's literally no one that that has any real right to to to, to continually judge right this this ongoing judge let me like let someone be the judge and jury of everything when we I think we if we could just have a little more understanding and grace with people and to see the the best part of them because we again if we all believe if we believe that there's christ in people which i do and we believe that we can if we look hard we can see it then our options are to either try to pull more of that christ out or to find because we all have something terrible in us as well i mean i have a lot of bad habits i mean we don't want to go into that but if you want to focus and pull those out, you could do that as well. But is, is that as helpful? Right. It, in fact, I think it's a really hard discussion for people to think about because it's, it's so easy to be defensive because it makes you feel good for the moment because you must be right because you're defensive and therefore you must be smart because you're right and therefore you must be a better person. But we all know there are no better people. Right, exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, you're just making my heart hum here. In what you're saying, I, I I loved what you said to me one time. If if you're so focused on hating, where's the room for grace? I mean, mm-hmm. grace is a huge. That word keeps coming up in your lexicon, your vocabulary, Jackie, an awful lot. Can you talk a little bit more about grace and its power? Um, I will, and I'm going to give you a story to to explain what I think oh, of grace. I love and uh, yeah, I know you do. Um, so a couple of years ago, I was talking to um, a lady who had gone through the program at um, at our house. And part of the program at our house is they not only um, provide the I mentioned earlier the you know financial literacy and the education, but they also provide um, for those that are interested. They provide an accreditation for child care for a teacher for child care. So if you're there, you can actually go through their program, become accredited as a child care teacher, which means you now have a, you know a, a diploma and get a secure job, et cetera. And she had then come back to our house and she was a teacher there, lived on her own with her child outside of our house, but, but still serving that community as an accredited teacher. So for her, she not only talked about the, the experience for her being able to um, have to be able to go in that course, to be able to earn her certificate, which is really hard, to know that she's important to those children, especially serving them from a place where she understands where they've been from. And she talked a lot about um, being able to be taken from where she was at one time and being transported, right? Basically transported to a different life. Now it took years, it took a lot of hard work for her to do, and she talked about that transformation. And to me, she was like an angel, right? Because that's like a, a story of an angel that now that now ministers to these small children who are now experiencing homelessness that she understands and can help them. Um, but when I think of Grace, I think of her transformation and taking her from, from where she was, a homeless mother who was struggling, to now an accredited child care um, provider who helps these children from a place of real understanding while she provides a self-sufficient home for her family. I mean, that is God's grace to me, is to take from one place to another 
and totally transform the life. So that, that when I talk about grace, I talk about tra- I think about grace as a transformational um, ability, and I and I think of it as a, something you not only should give other people, but I think also I think quite frankly, and you, you I'm sure you'll know the correct quote, but you know you can never give to someone what you haven't given to yourself. Yeah, that's it. But, so if you can't if you can't forgive yourself for making mistakes, which obviously we all have since we're all human, then you can never have the ability to to forgive someone else. And without forgiveness, there's never any forward moment movement. So it's it's you know you end up wrapping in this cycle. Yeah. I don't know if that was helpful or not, but it was very very helpful. And you were you bringing you you just brought in Desmond Tutu in our conversation because he has a book called No Future Without Forgiveness. And that's a beautiful way for you to put it in terms of there's no forward movement in anybody's life if you don't have any grace. No, you have to have grace. And I think forgiveness is really hard for people. Um, we all struggle with it for different different people's in our right. Is this a, are, are people putting your life to be hard because you have to learn how to do it, deal with that? Probably, right? Uh, and I've had to work a lot through that in, in my life as well. And in the end, what, you, what I think you, what I've come to realize that forgiveness is much less for the other person than it is for me. It's for me. Because honestly, most of the time, that person, honestly, that we, they forgot about They've exactly. moved on. They're exactly. somewhere else. Totally. But if I constantly harbor that ill will towards another human being for something that happens, you know, who, who whatever, and hang on to that, then that's the focus of my, of my energy and my life force. And to me, you only have so much of that. Right, you can't you can't do everything. So I've really tried to really tried to refocus what I'm doing into how can I focus it in a positive way that creates positive outcomes for other people versus you know focusing on the few things that are not helpful. Right. At all. Indeed, indeed. So listening and grace. Anything else before we move on? I I love um, talking about those yeah. two. Yeah, I think listening and grace, and also the other thing is, and this is this I found out through my life is that to me, I think it's important for people to talk. I mean, we're obviously having a discussion. I think it's important for people to talk about issues and to listen. Clearly, it's the title of my book. Uh, but I think that where the real kind of um, where things really start happening is when you work with people and create things with people of different backgrounds and different views and different opinions, um, because it's in that in the process of working toward a, a goal that you both agree on and whether it's, you know, for me, it's early child, you know, early child learning and uh, the, you know, the land and financial literacy um, and homelessness. I mean, the, the Ansley school is a great example of the work that's being done in the Ansley school. It's unbelievable. But once you find a thing in the community that you care about, and then you work with whoever shows up, doesn't matter what their background, what they, it doesn't matter. And then you work together and you accomplish something for that objective, it will be amazing how differently you look and think about other people. Yeah. And how close you become because now you've actually accomplished something. Yeah. Right? You've actually accomplished something good um, together, which I think makes a huge difference. I agree. When you make more space for somebody else to be truly who they are, it frees up more space for you to be truly who you are, both in our connectedness with somebody else, but also in our uniqueness, you know? That's, that's well said. Well said. And, and you're right, because we, we all have very different skills, right? God, God didn't create us all the, the same. We all, all have different skills and attributes. And 
Um, I do think sometimes we try to place ourselves or others in little pigeonholes. And to your point, if we can actually figure out how to make it bigger and broader so we can, there is no, there is no, you know, if, if you have, to, you're, you're a talented singer, right? But that doesn't take away from my talent as a singer, which is not as good as yours. But my point is we can all have a lot of talent. It's not like we need to, right, fight over who's the best. It's really about bringing out the best in all of us that God's given us. What are the God-given talents and how should they be used to, to improve our world? as opposed to figuring out, you know, how do we make somebody else feel small so we feel big? That's it, Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm. My, I'm taking all that in. Oh, that's really important. So very important. So, um, which way do we want to go now? Do we want to go into the area of life where you learned the lessons that you've learned about listening and grace and making space for the other. What pain-oriented or memorable or epiphany-oriented story would you tell that kind of said, yeah, this other way of living is not going to work. And it, it, I'm, I guess I'm asking for the kind of the seed story behind your book. Mm -hmm. Because you wrote your book out of a real commitment. Well, I did. I think I think part of it's very personal. So I'll tell some personal stories that are not, I mean, that private because nothing in nothing in my father's life is very private. Um, but, but part of it was watching the polarization, the political polarization, and um, it's interesting because you know I, my new has always been my father. He's never not been my father, and he lost twice before he was elected the third time. And so I've never, I can't remember a life before politics. I remember losing twice, but. There was always politics out there, um, and, he, and he can be a very polarizing figure. Um, a lot of that is the focus on the on the press and what you know is, is said about him. But he's also my father, who I love very much. Um, but I'll tell a couple of stories. One is one of my favorite stories is um, when Jimmy and I were first uh, dating. We had the he, when he first met my father, he met him at a at a, we're at a bar. At the time, my dad was was the speaker of the house, and so he had security guard with him. It was a crowded area. And um, I, I stepped back from them because I wanted them to have a little chance to, you know, to bond over, over a beer. And so as I stepped back, it was really crowded. I heard two guys um, next to me saying, oh, there's Newt Gingrich. He abandoned his wife and children. And I knew that not to be true because, well, I was his child and he didn't abandon me. So I turned to them and I didn't yell at them. I just said, excuse me, guys, that's not true. I'm his daughter and he didn't abandon me. And they were appropriately mortified because they had, they were literally repeating what has, had been on the news, um, which was incorrect and um, very apologetic um, and, you know, were nice after that. But it just, I guess my point is, is that there are so many things that are out there that are untrue, including the fact that he left my mother um, on her deathbed when she had cancer, besides the fact that she didn't have cancer at the time and didn't die. Um, I mean, it, it wasn't true. I mean, it like literally was not true. And so, um, so I've dealt with it for a long time, and um, I know how, and, I, and I've kind of, I don't, I don't, I don't blame people for their inaccurate information. I don't go out of my way to correct everybody because, quite frankly, it's none of their business. But I do know that if you pigeonhole people into things that you've heard that are not true, that you end up making very bad decisions based on bad information and bad, inaccurate judgment. And so to me, it's just been really, um, 
important that people step back and before they prejudge, which we know is prejudiced, right? right. And it can be for skin color, it can be for gender, yes. it can be for political party, it can be from where you're from, it can be for, I mean, for anything, right? I mean, there's yes. all kinds of prejudice, all of which is not good. Right. So um, I just think we've gotten to a bad cycle where we're, we, we prejudge everybody by different areas for anyone that's not in whatever group we determine we're in on both sides. This is not a, this is not a one side or the other. This is Absolutely. a, unfortunately, too many people today. One of the things that I learned in my research is that 55% of Republicans and 64% of Democrats have few or no friends in the opposite party. And to me, that says right. If so, if that's true, which it's a, it's a it's a fact, that means we're not getting the kind of crossover and relationships we need to actually function as a country. Exactly. Because it's impossible if you. I mean, it, that's just it's just impossible. So that's really the call. And I guess from my experience, I've we've really worked in our family very hard to make sure we do make those crossovers, and we don't. You know, we, I, we love. You know, we work on a lot of different activities with a lot of different people. And my point is, we are, this is America, you are free to vote however you want. And that's exactly as it should be. And I think that's great. But I don't think it's helpful to have either side argue that the other side is terrible because we can't actually get anything accomplished. And I'm all about accomplishing things. And so that's really the, the call to action for my book is, how can we get over this? You know, you're a terrible person, you can't do anything versus let's find a problem in the community whether it's home, and let's, and let's see if we can fix it together. Because yeah. that's, to me, the only way we can really make progress. Well, I, I have two, two uh, light bulbs that just went off as you were talking. And let me say that uh, one of them is, if you are eager to believe the worst <laughs> about someone with whom you disagree, you have fallen into the polarization trap. Mm-hmm. That is a sign right there that you are, you're complicit in the tribalization, polarization of America. If you get visceral glee out of hearing a really horrible story about someone with whom you disagree, <laughs> right. it's, it's probably false in the first place. You're not giving anybody a benefit of the doubt. And... It doesn't look good on you if you're taking visceral glee out of believing the worst possible thing you hear about your political or otherwise enemy. And I got so excited about that when I forgot the second point. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you're right. But I, I do think people take um, too much joy. I mean, and I think it's you know you can, it's easy to do when you're on these social media outlets and you're because it's all about you know again it's this one upsmanship. It's like that I, you know one side's better than the other. One side, and I'm. Yeah, and it makes you think about really is that is that what life's about? Yeah. I, I don't think so. I mean, I, I think really life's about again. You know, think, I, I think I'm probably very lucky. I have it sitting here that I was reading the Universal Christ. I love um, that. When I <laughs> when I was it. when I was writing my book because I do think if you if you try to remind yourself every time, okay, there's there's Christ in me, so let me try to be a little better. There's Christ in you. There's Christ in them. There's Christ in them. There's Christ there. If we all understand that, that there is God in everybody, then I think it kind of makes us take a take a breath and rethink about how we treat them as well. Yeah. Another thing I want to, I know we might want to talk about as well because of my work with um, gears in our house. But the the other thing I think if if we think about how we work to bring everybody to use the talents that God's given everybody because I believe God gives everybody talents and a lot of ability. 
but I really think it's important for us to recognize that when we work with people and not to assume that, that again, because of prejudice one side or the other, that somebody can't do something because of their background. Yes. And I really think we need to, how do we bolster people up, right? How do, again, how do we bring out the best in people and the most in people without telling people, God, Ed, you know, you're from South Georgia. It's a miracle you can read and write. Amen. <laughs> Come on. You, I mean, you're pretty talented. Like, there's still, I'm not, I'm not saying we don't need those underlying structures to help poor right. Ed, who's yeah. in South Georgia, right? But, um, but to realize there's so much talent. I feel like in, a, in our country, we are missing out on so much human potential. Yes. That is not being accessed. And we need to figure out how to unlock that with people because we have so much human potential that's in our country that is not being um, used right now. That, that's my opinion. Indeed. I really am glad you went there too. I did remember one of the things that you were, a point you made that turned my light bulbs on. And that had to do with uh, having friends who are like you, only friends who look like you, who think like you and all that kind of stuff. And the absence mm -hmm. of proximity to difference. Mm -hmm. I mean, one of the things that you have heard me preach too much, I'm sure, is the big tent notion. But it would be horrible for our church, for us to be aligned with one political party or the other and not have sitting in the queue with us someone who thinks differently, looks differently, dresses differently. I mean, one of the enriching mm -hmm. things about being a member of this big tent parish, St. Luke's, is that we do try to tend to difference. And that's really important. And that's a countercultural thing to America when we are living in neighborhoods that with only people who look like us and vote mm -hmm. like us and that, that kind of stuff. Yeah, it is. And I think to your point, if you don't have any proximity or any interaction, whether it's, I mean, for, for us, I mean, church, work, uh, community organizations, nonprofits, et cetera. But if you, if you don't actually think about that cognitively and do that, then it's very easy to, to never learn and never understand, right? Different perspectives. Indeed. And, it, yeah, and, and again, it's not that it's even just the comprehension is so important to run against other people, other backgrounds, other stories, as you would say, so that you have that ability to listen and learn and therefore have a broader perspective. Because, you know, we all have our, you know, we all have choices in life, right? We can narrow our perspective over time so that we become very, very right. Indeed. Or we can decide that we're going to open them up and have interact with different people at different places and do different things and learn and broaden our perspective. But we need to make sure it's a conscious choice because if you don't do it consciously, sometimes it can happen unconsciously. Well, I love, I love the, the way you were doing your hands there and talking about narrowing down and opening up because one of my, another one of my favorite theologians is talking about whether or not you, your family, your community, your corporation, your church, your whatever, is an open system versus a closed system. And that closed system stuff makes things tight, predictable, mm -hmm. comfortable. And when you open it up, you're on adventure and newness <laughs> and all of that kind of stuff. And that's that. those are the vibes I get from you, Jackie, is that you think life is an adventure. Well, I think it is. And should, we, should we get to the, the idea that not only do we all have Christ in us, but we're all interconnected as well? I know you love that. We could talk about that and the synchronicity of the universe and whether or not we're able to access, right, where we should be at what time and, 
I mean, we, we could we could go on and on with that, but I do think we have to be, you know, in a in a world in which, um, when I say we, I mean people, right? People have the um, often try to control everything. I think the idea that there's something bigger than them, God, right, and the universe and this the synchronicity can be incredibly frightening, unless you really start thinking about it and working with it. I think and I think that's a hard transition because we're such a want to control everything. Yeah. But if we think about it from a right from a you know from from a perspective of God and Christ, we need to know we actually can't control everything, nor should we want to control everything. Hello? Because we know we're human and we know that we right by definition we're, we we have to sin. Even if we try not to, right? We, you can get up Monday and, and you can say I'm going to have be the best person I am today, and you may be the best person you are and I'm still going to sin. Like, hopefully it's less than the day before or not so terrible, or, but it's not going to not happen. So I, I think we need to, again, give ourselves a little more grace for who we are and also recognize that, that God is, right, really is God, which yeah. means God. Yes, it, but, but you have to, that also requires that you le- let go of some of that control, which mm-hmm. is very hard for humans. Oh, I, that's what I pray about every morning. <laughs> God, help me give up control. <laughs> well, usually, usually mine's for patience. So you'll love this when the children were little and still occasionally because they're older now. When we would pray at the beginning of church, I always had them pray for patience for mommy. <laughs> a That's little self serve, a little self serving, but good for them too. I thought. I thought we all need. I mean, they were twenty two months apart. I thought a little patience for mommy would go a long way. <laughs> Why not make your kids pray for you? Absolutely. <laughs> Please give me patience. Please give me patience. <laughs> so, Jackie, our time is over. So, uh, there are a million more questions. So, we'll have to do this again. Um, you're supposed to say, okay, Ed, I'll be glad to Absol- I'll, I'll do whatever you tell me. Like I said, even. <laughs> I even had my, see, look, I was already my big love. Come I'm on. so impressed with the big love St. Luke's Cup. That's <laughs> wonderful. But as we close, now tell us, aren't you on a syndicated radio show or something? Tell us about that. Uh, okay, so I, I, two things. My books are available on Amazon. If anyone's interested on, on Amazon, um, I do have a website, JackieCushman.com. Um, occasionally on Bill Nygut's Political Rewind, and I do write a weekly column that you can find at Town Hall. So, um, and again, I have the four nonprofits. If you if you want if you want to get involved in any of those, please let me know. We're always looking for volunteers. Um, and I and you can get involved in any nonprofit you want. If you love the arts, do arts. If you love the symphony, do the symphony. I don't do whatever you want, but um, my advice would be to get involved in something um, because you'll get a lot more out of it than um, than you will actually give to it. So. So, Jackie, are the links to all of those nonprofits on your website? Yes. Yes. Perfect. And will you hold up your book one more time, please, please? Oh, absolutely. absolutely. It, was, it was under my big love cup. So, <laughs> okay. so it's Our Broken America, Why Both Sides Need to Stop Ranting and Start Listening. Love it. Thank Jackie you for having Christian, me, Ed. Thank you. It was wonderful. I enjoyed it. Thank you thank very you much. Thank you all. Join us every week for stimulating, compelling, relevant conversations. We're so glad you were with us today. Goodbye. <laughs>